Hello everyone and welcome to our final episode of the Politicking Podcast for 2023. Hi Stuart, how are you doing? I'm alright, I've got my metaphorical Christmas hat on, uh, looking <laughs> forward to uh, you know New Year and um, uh, I'd, I'd like to think I've maybe got a drink in front of me but I haven't, then. I've, just got some, uh, I've just got some coffee instead but yeah, getting, getting into the festive spirit and looking forward to 2024. Yeah, we're nearly there, Stuart. Nearly there. Nearly at, at time for a break, which will. God, God. Yeah, neither, neither. What a year it's been. Um, so, so top five moments from this year, Stuart. So we we've compiled a bit of a list, haven't we? For um, kind of, I mean, for me, I've kind of gone shock factor and a bit of kind of like, God, you know that that was really memorable at the time, but it was really strange at the time and all that kind of stuff. Um. What what's the kind of flavour of your list looking like, Stuart? Is it similar, or have you gone for a bit of a, a just a, a kind of roundup of the key key moments from the year? Yeah, I think I've tried to pick on things that sort of show a pattern or illustrate the way that the government and the opposition sort of you know fought and were engaged in the rest of twenty three with a view to what might happen in twenty twenty four, which could well be a, you know a general election year uh, next year. So. Um, yeah, I, I always find it really difficult. Well, sorry, not really difficult. But when you look back at any year, you sort of start scrolling through and looking through your scrapbook or metaphorical scrapbook and, you know, emails that you've received and things like that. And there's so much that goes on literally all the time, every day, most of which you then sort of put to one side or forget. And when I, or a couple of these things, like, oh, yeah, that's that's really interesting. I'd forgotten that happened. But it seemed like a huge deal at the time. But people sort of move on. And you can then sort, if you have that in mind, you can then sort of think, well, actually people do, gen, you know, in their minds create general impressions about politics and politicians and political parties because it's impossible to keep all that stuff in your head in any amount of detail. So it's all about the impression overall. Do we think Keir Starmer is a good leader? Do we think Rishi's in charge of his party? It, you know, all those sorts of things. Is the economy doing well? Because that's the impressions that people then take into the, uh, you know, when they when they're doing their votes in the in the you know in the ballot papers and and the privacy of the ballot booth. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. It it it, it it's funny, isn't it? Really, how quickly kind of you move on from the previous, you know, the previous kind of scandal or, or whatever. It just moves so quickly these days. Whereas, I don't know, I don't know about you, Stuart, but when I was growing up, it felt like you know if there was a scandal, like I'm thinking even like the expenses scandal. That seemed to go on for ages, and I don't know if it's because we're in a, you know, a social media age where it seems like it's done really quickly now, and it and we move on to the next scandal, which it seems to kind of only be two weeks away uh, in the current kind of climate. But, but yeah. So I mean, let, let's get into these then. So I can go first with kind of my my kind of top five moments, if that's all right. Stuart. That's all right. Um, yeah, yeah. Go on. You got to do that. No, I'll weave in some of mine or. Uh... We'll pick up mine at the end, yeah. Yeah, no, that sounds good. Um, so I suppose in no particular order, really, because uh, how do you how do you even go about ranking these, really? But fifth for me, and top top of my kind of list was the Gary Lineker BBC grilling, which kind of happened earlier this year when there was kind of talk that he was going to get sacked because he shared a view on Twitter about kind of the uh, government's language around immigrants coming to the country and stuff like that. And I've seen actually that this this row still kind of going on with Gary Lineker just last week. He, you know, he was getting grilled again by Grant Shapps. And I think 
Lee Anderson's chipped and asking him to stick to football and stuff like that. But it was quite amazing at the time that he nearly got sacked and then he nearly brought match of the day down with him with all the kind of presenters kind of jumping on his side and stuff. And I think it showed a bit of his political power, actually, Stuart, in terms of how much he means to kind of match of the day. And the current situation, because I know he's, he signed a kind of um, letter, you know, going against the Rwanda policy and stuff like that. And he, and now he's kind of, you know, throwing digs at kind of politicians and stuff, which I think is actually against the BBC code of con- conduct, whether we like it or not. Um where where will this leave him? Because I think this this kind of makes it a bit difficult for the BBC again with Gary Lineker, doesn't it? They've got to decide whether what he's done now is sign the letter again. And and I you know I don't think the letter you know did anything. Well, look, it 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 suggested that we needed a new approach to immigration. Now, you know that's either critical of the government because as we talked about on the previous uh, episode, you know the round up uh, the bill. And, you know, the government trying to come up with a, a, a plan. Uh, so you're either being critical of the government by doing that or you're trying to rise above politics and say, look, actually, as a country, we need to sort this out and come up with some sort of new way of doing things. Now, um, he would probably say the latter. The politicians have said the former or the conservative politicians have said the former. Uh, you know, if there is now a complaint to the BBC, I guess, or the BBC take it upon themselves to re- they will have to come up and decide what that is. So and whichever way they decide will be unpopular so in other words uh gary lineker is still a controversial figure the bbc still gets it in the neck from all sides but particularly the conservative government uh and it will continue to be used as a as a a political football deliberate uh, analogy slash pun there um to uh you know to bash the bbc that's sort of how it works. So, you know, we can start. I mean, it is a bit of a downbeat start, but, you know, we start 2023. Oh, that was earlier than 23, wasn't it? I can't remember yeah, exactly yeah. when it was. Then. But anyway, uh, you know, we start 23 on that thing and we finish 23 moving into 24 on exactly the same sorts of uh, uh, issues. Um, and you're right. I'd completely forgotten. Of course, but match of the day had to come off uh, the air that yeah. weekend, didn't it? Because of because uh, all the other presenters sort of showed uh, solidarity uh, you know, with Lineker on, on his on his tweets, so um, yeah, it does. You know, it does show uh, his influence and his and his power. Um, yeah. But people quite like, you know, generally celebs. I call him a celeb. I don't know whether he describes himself as a celeb, but you know, having having a view. Um, yeah. And uh, the media are interested, and that's that's what's really important. The media are interested in in what he and many others have to say. Yeah, I I didn't actually watch that uh, one that came down because Liverpool lost that weekend, Stuart, and I was absolutely fuming about it. So um, I I missed the whole thing. But I think they just ended up playing like playing the clips of football with no presenters on, which was really kind of bizarre, wasn't it? But um, I didn't watch that one. But uh, you're right. I mean, this is particularly important to us because as, as football and as fans of the greatest football club in the world, Liverpool Football Club, which is probably a healing to half our listeners, uh, you know that was a particularly uh, important week. Yeah, might have just lost a few subscribers there, Stuart, but um, <laughs> that's okay, that's okay. Um, so yeah, so that, that was up there, so I, th- I think it's just interesting, but I, th- I think for me, the debate rages on really, doesn't it, around, you know, even though they are a celebrity, even though they do have a platform and stuff like that, surely they should still be able to kind of express their views on certain issues, and, you know, we've seen Grant Sharp saying stick to football and stuff, but... 
politics is for everyone and I think they need to be aware of that when they're kind of using that kind of language that you know people can have an opinion on it because at the end of the day the government do serve us as um you know residents of this country so yeah and and that sort of ties in with one of my you know top fives I mean I, what I found really interesting and, and you know particularly when Jacob Reeks Mogg was um you know, got his uh, job on on GB News, but is is so one of my top fives is, is sort of GB News continuing to employ conservative politicians um, uh, to host you know discussion programs, but uh, you know and and comment on you know politics more generally as well. So that sort of didn't start at the beginning of this year, but with Reese Mogg in particular, I think he's probably the most high high profile. And then we come forward, and we've had Vivian Dorries and and you know Boris etc you know, doing these things as well. That that sort of, you know, mix of well I suppose the the shift in tone of coverage from being balanced for the BBC, ITV, Channel Four, Five, etc., to something much more akin to a US style, actually look, this is our position as a broadcast outfit. And um we will push that agenda while still mm. trying to have some sort of balance and i think that's a really interesting you know change in the way that you know politics is done but political coverage is is done in this country so that's why i included you know uh reese mock's appointment as or you know employment as um as one of my sort of top five moments yeah and i suppose it 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 bangs home the point really doesn't it that you do need a bit of impartiality you know you, know, you need like the bbc to provide an impartial even though some people disagree that it does do this sometimes, but you do need a channel that is impartial, you know, that can kind of provide a balanced view on things. And, you know, when you have got the rise and stuff like GB News with conservative MPs, former prime ministers going on there presenting it and things, like, it throws that up in the air, doesn't it? And I think what's worrying for me, Stuart, really, is with these kind of, like, right-wing shows, but, you, you know, you can also get kind of left-wing shows and all that kind of stuff, is the culture wars that that can create as well and putting people in their own echo chamber. They're not getting kind of a balanced view on on certain topics and issues. And I think that could perhaps widen the the kind of debate in society and, and make it a bit, you know, make people a bit more far right, make people a bit more far left. Um, it, you know, it's the social media generation at the end of the day again, isn't it? It comes back to, to kind of that... Um, which, yeah, I, I just find it worrying sometimes, but... Okay, I mean, so on the topic of, I suppose, um, yeah, MPs looking and Prime Ministers looking to kind of do the best at hosting shows, fourth for me was um, the partnership that we didn't know we needed with Rishi and uh, the Elon Musk talk around... I think it was something to do with this AI summit, wasn't it? Stuart, his artificial intelligence summit. And weirdly, he did like a bit of a chat show thing with Elon Musk where he was kind of talking through AI and, and stuff like that. But it was just a bit, I don't know, it was a bit cringe, I thought. It was a bit like <laughs> two, two random fellas just kind of turning up and you could tell Rishi felt a little bit awkward. You could tell Elon was a little bit awkward. The chemistry wasn't quite there. I get it, AI was an important issue, um, but uh, I don't know, it, it felt like the whole, not just that talk, I suppose the whole AI summit was a little bit of a failure, I want to say, because, you know, he was, you know, invited all kind of world leaders to kind of come together there, and I 
don't think any did in the end of the day. I think there was a couple, but not many. And I think that's probably why he tried to get Elon with his star factor uh, along. But what did you make of that one, Stuart? I, I think it was very clear in the uh, in the discussion interview, whatever we want to call it, that there was one person that was in charge, and that was uh, Elon. And um, you know, Rishi was positioning himself to try and get a job in uh, you know California once he finishes being prime minister, whenever that you know should be. I did find it then deeply ironic. Uh, you know, going back to last week's discussion about his appearance in front of the COVID committee, that he then had to sort of admit that he'd had four different phones and managed to, you know, not transfer the data from each one each time, which meant all his messages went missing. Um, so the tech bro that can't work a phone, uh, uh, you know, and a change a changeover that was, uh, you know, quite funny. Uh, not that I'm the best person at tech, but uh, maybe it's because I use Apple or whatever. But uh, you know, I always find that I can shift stuff across generally quite successfully. And I don't remember you know, accidentally losing all my WhatsApp messages. But, you know, maybe they're just not as good a tech as I am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I think he did used to work in Silicon Valley, didn't he? Rishi as well, so... It he is, probably had a person to sort out his phones yeah. for him. Yeah. yeah, he didn't have to do that. But maybe as Prime Minister, he has to he has to transfer the SIM cards himself into new <laughs> phones and therefore everything went, you know, walkabouts. How does that work? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, just just on that point, I just wanted to look at the wider stuff with, you know, we see more politicians, you know, mixing it with celebrities, I suppose. So you've seen kind of Farage going the jungle, um, Matt Hancock, I think, I think he went in the jungle the year before, but he was on Celebrity SAS, which was quite a funny watch as well, Stuart. But, um, I don't watch yeah, reality just... TV very often, Ben, if I'm being brutally honest. I don't, I don't, I avoid it at all costs. Yeah. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't blame you. Some of it, it's gone downhill big time. But um, but yeah, I, I just wonder if we're starting to see a bit of a theme emerging there with kind of politicians kind of starting to go onto those channels. But moving on to uh, my moment number three, and it, it's actually linked to Nigel Farage, was the Coots banking scandal. So, Stuart, I don't know if you want to kind of take this one because I know this was on your list as well wasn't it it was yeah yeah we we agreed on we agreed on a top point uh Ben which is which is always quite nice so there's some some level of consistency there between us yeah look this is so Nigel Farage um sort of had a had a bank account with uh Coots the private bank um but it was closed and he was offered the standard bank account by the parent company NatWest uh instead um he went you know completely ballistic about this and said that he was being sort of cancelled that his bank account was being closed because he was because of his um you know because of his politics and therefore that was, was unacceptable um coots sort of said well their version sort of seemed to vary uh you know in 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 some way um and uh they had to hold inquiries into it as well uh then you had uh alison rose who sort of sat beside um you know bbc journalists and sort of you know maybe revealed too much information, personal information, and that ended up before the Information Commissioner's office because you're not allowed to reveal people's, uh, you know, individual, um, obviously, data or anything like that, which effectively that was. And then you also had uh, an investigation by the uh, uh, Financial Conduct uh, Authority, I think it was the FCA that, that did this, but anyway, one of the financial bodies, which sort of tried to look up, well, basically, whether people of, um, because their politics were losing their bank accounts, they sort of said, that that wasn't a problem whereas Farage has continued to say it is a problem and you know he's got lots of examples across the country of people having had their bank accounts closed because of their um you know non-woke uh views of the world um and and you know for me 
I mean, I know you've got your views on it as well, Ben, but, you know, for me, that was all about actually how uh, adept uh, Farage is at um, keeping public attention. Mm-hmm. I think it sort of, you know, whether the issue was an issue or not, he utilised it brilliantly well to remind people that he was, you know, still going. Um, that ties in with your previous point about him then going on, I'm a celebrity. I think this is all part of that, you know, same process. So he has the opportunity in speech marks through the through the banking problems earlier in the year. He then turns that in an opportunity to raise his profile again. He then uses that even more to come third on, uh, you know, I'm a celeb and get paid a fortune, you know, to appear on the programme as well. So financially he's done, you know, quite well out of that, you know, appearance. Um, but it also means that as we come to the end of 2023 into 24, he is seriously being talked about as a leader of the Conservative Party. So yeah. if you'd have gone back at the beginning of this year and said that, we'd have probably laughed. But because of the Coots incident, because of the I'm a celeb bit, using that to boost his profile even more... Um, you know, not just that, but also being praised at the you know the Conservative Party conference and dancing with Pretty Patel at a disco and da, 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 all that stuff. Next year, this guy could be the leader of the Conservative Party quite easily. Yeah, it's crazy to think that really, Stuart. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, I think the whole coot situation just sums Farage up. Really, it's anti-establishment rhetoric again. Um, so I, I think that's what he's always kind of you know, modelled himself on really is, is that, you know, I, I will rebel against the establishment. I mean, even with the I'm a celebrity stuff, Stuart, somehow he's turned that into anti-establishment by kind of saying ITV didn't give me enough airtime, the ITV boss is against me, um, all because of my political views, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. So I think he's always... I or he's always... he was just really tedious and boring. I don't know because yeah. I don't watch it, but you know, if it, if he doesn't do anything really interesting, and it's the same for any of the characters uh, on there, then I don't get the coverage. Exactly, exactly. But but I mean, he's he's gonna. I I think it was always his plan to kind of come out and say that anyway, Stuart. I think th- there always has to be some form of kind of rebellion against the system with him, and I think, I I, th- I think that's probably like what might actually drive him to become the leader of the Conservatives because. It's what kind of that right of the party really do resonate with him on, you know. It's that kind of. I mean, even if you look at Brexit, that that's anti-establishment, isn't it? Really, it's it's kind of. We won't be told what to do by a greater power than us, kind of thing. You know, it's all a conspiracy, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, that that's that was my thoughts on it. To be honest, I think like you know, you can't have a a bank account with coots unless you've got a million pounds in your account, I think. And by the sounds of it, he sold a house or something like that, or a mortgage fell through or something along those lines, which meant he fell below that below that threshold. And yeah, it might be a bit embarrassing for him and things like that, but he was the one who kind of made that public as well, that whole kind of situation. And um, yeah, just just found it amazing, the, the, the kick-off from it, really. And even he even got kind of Prime Minister Rishi Sunak to back him with, with this kind of whole debate at the time, which... Well, maybe yeah. he can use the 1.5 or whatever allegedly he's earned from I'm a Celeb into a new bank account and can get another private bank account to a private bank to back him. Yeah, exactly that, exactly that. So, um, so yeah, so, I mean, we'll part that one there. That, that's enough about Farage, I think. But SMP... The SMP whole finance investigation. So that was number uh, two on my list. So 
I thought this was a bit crazy at the time, Stuart, and it seems like so long ago, and I'm not even sure if we've actually come to, uh, you know, like the, if they've completed their investigation on this or anything like that, so it's ongoing, so obviously we can't really talk too much about it still. Um, we did cover it on a previous podcast, but I just thought the whole situation of kind of, you know, Nicola Sturgeon, who you thought was, you know, a real stable SNP leader, you thought the SNP was quite stable, really, and, and, and things, and then this kind of whole investigation kind of blows that out of the water. And I suppose, Stuart, that, you know, as it is still ongoing, where does it leave them kind of for next year, really? And, and you know, in the run-up to an election, do you think it'll have an impact on votes in Scotland and stuff? Uh, yeah, I think inevitably it will. I mean, yeah, you're right. This is this is still ongoing. It, it limits what we can say about it. But I know there's press coverage just recently in the in the Scottish papers um, I think it was about a car that you know a very expensive car that you know is now being looked at as well because you know as part of the financial um, arrangements if we can put it like that that the that the SNP has uh, you know had in place uh, uh, when Sturgeon was leader and um, uh, Peter Morell husband as the as the chief executive so um, yeah this is definitely ongoing I mean it was uh, I mean one of my five just to sort of tie in was was the election of uh, Hamza Youssef as the you know new leader of the SNP and you know and first minister of, of Scotland you know as well because that for me yeah similarly it just represented that shift from you know the SNP as the dominant stable force in Scottish politics into an era of investigation new leader that's not quite so certain can't quite work out whether he's the continuity candidate which is what he sort of sold himself as or needs to change to put some gaps and distance between you know this other stuff that's bubbling away you know and him as as a as a government so and again thinking of 23 to go into 24 because of the general election that will likely likely come you know all these problems give the Scottish voters the idea that maybe the SNP isn't, you know, all-encompassing or all-fantastic, opens up space for Labour, as we've already seen through um, one of the by-elections up there as well. Uh, and if Labour can win seats in Scotland at the Westminster level, A, it puts them in a good stead for fighting forthcoming Scottish elections, but more importantly, it puts them in a much better position to become a majority government in Westminster as well, so yeah, I, that's why I would agree with you. And I and I say I've mentioned his, you know, um, you know, election as, as leader because of not just the weirdness of the whole thing <laughs> in some senses, but you know, and the and the pictures of you know raids at the Sturgeon household and all those sorts of things that were across the media, but also the ramifications as well. Yeah, yeah, it was it was quite surreal at the, the time because it did feel like something from kind of like a political drama or something, you know, when you're seeing images of police digging up gardens and stuff like that. It was a bit like a, a murder case, wasn't it, you know? But um, I always get reminded of, uh, again, going back to my sort of, uh, you know, um, Scouse side of things, but Brookside, when they, uh, you know, dug up... Uh, <laughs> I can't remember the Jordash or whatever his guys, the, the mum and the, the daughter had sort of buried him under the patio. Uh, I always, uh, I'm not suggesting anything similar here, of course. I hasten to add. But yeah, when you see sort of, uh, you know, things a bit like that, you you know, it's those sorts of things that come back to mind. Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah, no, it's, it was just a bit bit of drama, I suppose, in, in, in between the year. And like we say, it's still still kind of ongoing. So it'd be interesting to see where it, where it ends, really. But um yeah, maybe one for a future episode in 2024. So my top moment, and this might be a bit disappointing for people, but 
my real shock moment of the year was the return of uh, David Cameron. I, I thought I, I did not see that coming from anywhere, Stuart. And when I woke up to the news in the morning, I was just a bit like, "Is this actually? Is this happening? And is this allowed to happen?" And in all honesty, he's he's been quite quiet. I think since he's been put in post, Stuart. I mean, I've not seen anything, any any newsworthy stuff coming from him in terms of anything he's done. You know, on the on the international scale, um, in his new role and stuff. But, but no, he's been doing some foreign trips, I think, and sort of getting on with the job of being foreign secretary. So you know, which which he knows what's involved, having you know, had the uh, having been prime minister, he knows what's involved in these things. And I think he's obviously deliberately trying not to say outrageous stuff, um, which he was always very good at not doing anyway. I mean, whether he was a good Prime Minister or not, but, you know, it, it, it wasn't full of gaffes, gaffes or anything like that during his time in, as Prime Minister. So, you know, now he's Foreign Secretary, he can get on with the with the job at hand and, and sort of make that happen. So, yeah, but no, I was with you. I mean, you know, I don't think, you know, anybody that said that they were expecting David Cameron to come back is just not telling the truth. You know, this was a massive shock. Um, you know, there are precedents, you know, Mandelson coming back and all these sort of things under under Gordon Brown and, and Labour, but it, it wasn't seen by anybody. I think what's been really interesting in the last sort of couple of weeks since he's come back, for me, is is hopefully he re- has reminded himself or is now aware of the state that he left the Conservative Party in when he went. So because a lot of the problems that they've got across the economy arguably goes back to austerity which under his watch um obviously the problems with you know uh immigration he was talking about getting immigration down to the you know below the tens of thousands um he was the one that obviously put the brexit referendum you know in place rightly or wrongly you know obviously people have views on that um but not dealing with the issues and just walking away afterwards not having a plan you can say that a lot of the problems absolutely were on his watch and now he's back in government he can see the consequences yeah yeah 100 percent. yeah and you know he's back in there now that i mean we'll see kind of what you know what action he actually takes to kind of resolve any of that i mean probably limited actually in, in his role but um i don't know i mean if if i was him i think i would have probably scuttled off as as Danny Dyer would said, scuttled off and stayed there um, <laughs> with me trotters up, you know what I mean? But yeah, he's he's obviously got no shame. But um, I think politics I... politics just gets into your blood. I think that's that's what it is, Ben. I mean I think they just you know, once you've held position, once you've held senior office, you know, it's very difficult to walk off stage left or right and, and, and not come back. And I think, you know, especially when you don't have to fight a seat because you're a peer. So you don't have the you know the the day to day problem of, of trying to keep a local constituency happen uh, sorry happy. You can just get on with the job and you know be an international statesperson as he is. I think that's quite attractive. It's difficult to not not to do that. I think. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, Stuart, did I miss any of your top five moments? Have you got any anything to add? Go on, yeah. Yeah, go on. I had two more. I mean, one one is a I think quite a boring one, um, but I highlighted that the, when the government earlier this year decided that it wasn't going to privatise Channel 4 um, because you know the earlier period of Boris and Nadine Dorries was all about breaking up Channel 4 and you know again it's a bit of culture wars a bit of breaking up the establishment etc and yet you then had new Prime Minister, new Secretaries of State and 
it was a complete change of position, complete change of position. And I think, again, for me, set the scene for the way that Rishi's government has been, which is that it is quite happy to change position. If it thinks something's not going to work or will work, it will shift. It is open to not just external pressure, but internal pressure. And again, we've seen this in, in our recent discussions about Rwanda and and um, you know other issues as well. Is that inter those internal battles within the Conservative Party still continue? There is no sign of any of that abating, even as we approach a general election. So I picked that because of because of the way that it sort of set the scene for the rest of the year and and and, and Rishi's um, uh, approach. And my other one. My other one was was more of a sort of a title, I guess, rather than rather than a thing. But it was just that you know, for me, twenty twenty three has also been the year of by elections. So we've had a whole number of by elections again, which you know we don't have to go through now because we've we've talked about them on previous um, episodes. If people want to to go and listen back, um, but you've had big Labour wins, big Lib Dem wins, uh, and then an occasional, i.e., Uxbridge win for the Conservatives, which they then used as a way to sort of nuclearize and this is mangling my words because obviously i'm not sure how green uh, nuclear is i obviously much greener than fossil fuels but anyway um uh so but they, they changed the debate around net zero and, and climate change policies so they grabbed hold of that as a way to try and drive a wedge you know through the green agenda and absolutely put some distance between themselves and the other parties on climate change and the party's commitment, despite the you know the legally binding, you know obligations that we're all under, or under as a country, to deliver on net zero, to sort of start to change tack, and again, it just shows where we are as we go into twenty four, which is about again you talked about some of this already, Ben, but you know culture wars and mm. you know being anti lots of things rather than for lots of things. So that's why I picked the, the by-elections, but particularly wanted to highlight the Uxbridge one because of the way that it was, you know, weaponised by, you know, the Conservative Party to then pick up on, on you know, on, on to shift on net zero and climate change. Yeah, and I, I suppose as well it shows the importance of local as well, Stuart, in terms of kind of that was a local issue that kind of fed into national politics then, wasn't it? And I, I think I'm right in saying in May 2024, so we've got another round of elections happening then, and I'm pretty sure some kind of combined authority elections are taking place so the kind of the, the bigger local ones I suppose and you've I'm sure it's the London ones taking place Stuart as well yeah. because obviously you know you Les that was the big issue wasn't it around that so that'll be really interesting to see if Sadiq Khan can kind of maintain being a mayor of London and stuff like that but I suppose it's a really I, I think the May elections are quite a, a significant kind of milestone which might might kind of show which way the, the kind of general election is going to go when it when it comes. So, so. Well, if it's not at the same time, Ben, of course. Yeah. So yeah, they could course, go on the yeah, same yeah. at the same time. But, you know, I think the, you're right to highlight the, the London mayoral elections as well, because, of course, what might happen, we don't know yet, is that uh, one Jeremy Corbyn may stand. And you can see us, because we've now changed the, or sorry, we have changed, I haven't changed at all. The uh, electoral system for the London mayoralty has been changed. Uh, so um, it, you can now, for you know, forecast or see a path where, if Corbyn does stand and he takes some votes from 
uh, Sadiq as the Labour candidate, that might let through the Conservative candidate. So mm-hmm. is it about net zero? Is it about ULES? Well, it may or may not be, but actually back to good old fashioned politics and falling out between politicians and Corbyn taking votes from uh, Sadiq, which then allows the Tories through. So that's something to watch in early 24 as well. Yeah, one, one to watch for 2024, definitely. Um, so, yeah, in, interesting times ahead, Stuart. And, yeah, th- thanks for sharing your, your top moments there. I think that's been a, a a varied but good summary of 2023. And, you know, when you look back, it has been a bit of a mad year, really, hasn't it, Stuart? You know? Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd be really interested. I mean, after people have listened to you know us chat away here about ours, if they've got uh, thoughts on ones, then you know, to get in contact with us or, uh, you know, let us know and, or feedback and, and uh, you know, on, on their, uh, you know, top five or, or ones that we've missed and shouldn't have missed. So if people have got views, let let us know. Yeah, definitely. And you can do that on Instagram or TikTok as well. So we, I'll tag both accounts uh, under the episode. But yeah, I think that'd be really interesting just to kind of compare and contrast kind of the key issues. And I suppose if they've got predictions for 2024 as well, let us hear them and we could perhaps do an episode in early January, Stuart, just looking at the year ahead and feed that in. So, so. Always happy to nick other people. I mean, obviously suitably, uh, you know, um, referenced, but yeah, always <laughs> nicking people's ideas. So yeah, if you've got some good ideas, very happy to, to, uh, to uh, take them. So I think, Stuart, that'll do us for today um, and for this year, actually. That, that's going to be the last episode of this year. Um, so just want to say, Stuart, thanks for joining me again and I hope you have a really good Christmas when it comes and, and a really good break. And um, yeah, I'll see you again in January. Thanks, Ben. Look, same to you and your family and everybody as well, friends. Uh, Yeah, have a good end of 23 and we look forward to 24. Cheers, Stuart, and thanks everyone for listening. Hope you have a good one too. Take care all. Bye-bye.